I love New York, but I mean, seeing what's happening, I, I was really sad. I have so many friends over there, um, Rwandans, Americans, and many other people from different places like Chile, they still live in New York. I was so scared. This idea of not being able to plan the future, like how devastating that can be on people's lives and how quickly it can happen. This is unknown, unchartered, unprecedented, all the uns, that's what this is. And we just, we gotta give ourselves a break. Hi, this is you and me and everyone we know, an audio diary made by everyday people living through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Brent Love, and whether you're listening to this right now or you're a guest on the podcast, you are part of a community. You are not alone. Thank you for taking time to listen, time to connect, and time to remember that we're all in this together. So this is a really special episode for me because my friend and longtime collaborator Carly London is taking the reins. We'll start this episode with a conversation between Carly and I. The two of us used to work together at American Refugee Committee, which is now called Alight. And when we talked about this podcast, I asked Carly if she would bring in some people she knows to share their stories about what it's like for them to live through the pandemic. So in this three-part episode, we start with Carly, and then Carly invites two friends to share their stories. One is an entrepreneur and mom living with a compromised immune system in Santa Cruz, California. And another is a great friend of both of ours who works at an organization serving refugees in Rwanda. In the first part of this episode, we're talking with Carly. Carly and I worked together for years on the same communications team, helping to tell stories of people surviving disaster and building their lives in new places. From Thailand to Jordan to Somalia to Uganda, we've seen a lot. And we bonded over the incredible privilege of learning from refugees and Alight's frontline service providers. That learning is actually really coming in handy right now. In the middle of all those years working together, Carly and her husband, Tad, moved into a house down the street for my family. So we became neighbors. And now Carly works as a communications consultant based out of Kigali, Rwanda, where she and her husband moved this past January. About a month ago, they evacuated Rwanda because of COVID-19. And right now their house is being rented out, so they moved to their family cabin in Wisconsin. Carly is moving around a lot these days. Well was moving around a lot. When we talked, Carly was settling into life at this cabin, which is frankly a shock after rushing out of her home in Kigali. Hello. Hello. I'm so glad that you're doing this with me. Me too. I'm happy to be here. We go way back and we've worked on a lot of cool stuff together. Yeah. And so um, I'm really grateful that you said that you would do some interviews and be part of, you know, this podcast and like find some friends and talk to them about what this is like for them. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's so fun. And this is the perfect time to do it. So um, I, of course, want to talk about what's going on with you. Um, let's start with like, what is your daily life like right now? Yeah, well, I have been holed up at the family cabin. Um, So I'm living my best cabin life currently. Um, In a lot of ways, it's not all that different than what cabin life is normally like, except it's instead of like a fun weekend up in the North Woods, it's like 
weeks and weeks on end up in the North Woods. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you consider yourself like a city person or a country person if you had to choose one? Oh, good question. You know, that it's a funny question because I think I'm I think I'm more of a city person for sure, but I don't know. Lately I've been thinking the country's pretty nice. I like it out here. It's just I mean, especially honestly, there's just no there's not I don't, I'm not even tempted to like break the social distancing rules. Um, yeah, so it's just yeah. kind of a lot of solitude. There's no one there. <laughs> there's no one there. There's no one there. So it's not even an option for me. And I mean, is it where, where's the nearest grocery store to you? Actually, I don't know. Yeah, it's in Webster, which is not too far. It's maybe like not even 15 minutes, like 10 minute drive from here. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, so the one trick is we were in quarantine, like actual quarantine for the first 14 days we were here and Wayne's is the store that's closest to us. And, uh, they do not do curbside pickup or delivery. (laughs) So we had to venture a little bit further afield to do the curbside pickup. But logistically just weird stuff to have to figure out. Yeah. And actually when we first got into Minneapolis, we had a little bit of a moment of like, Oh, what are we going to do? Because we were planning on, like we got in on a Saturday We were planning on driving up to the cabin on a Sunday, but we were going to pick up groceries on the way up and we were trying to arrange a curbside delivery or um, a pickup and there was no grocery store we could find in Minneapolis that was available for next day pickup. So we were were a little bit like, ooh, how is this a tricky situation? How are we going to do that? But then luckily, yeah, how are we going to eat? Like, all right, this might be a problem. Um, but luckily, this store and siren saved the day. So all's well that ends well. Nice. Yeah. How long have you been at the cabin now? Oh, how long has it been? Um, it's been just over two weeks. Yeah. Okay, good. So yeah. you're through the quarantine Through the moment. quarantine, yes. You, could, you can go into a grocery store now. We can, although we haven't yet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, we can. Um, so now that you're home, do you have plans to, I mean, like, well, first of all, you're not in your home home because your home is down the street from me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But this is a a home away from home for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, how do like, do you have an idea of how long you're staying at the cabin? You know, we don't really see a whole lot of reason to go back. Um, I mean, I want to see people, but I can't, I mean, I don't, we can't really see people right now anyways. So yeah, yeah, so it's, I mean, that would really be my biggest motivation is to be able to hang out with folks because I haven't seen most people since we left in December. Um, So yeah, so that would be my biggest motivation. But as of right now, we really don't have any plans to leave. I mean, one of the things, so we were briefly in Minneapolis over the weekend to kind of run a, a few errands at the Airbnb. Um, and just driving by the lakes and seeing them just so crowded and kind of the idea of, you know, wanting to walk outside, but potentially needing to kind of like dodge people. Um, that was a good, when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, running around the cabin and being able to go on hour long walks without really seeing anybody. Um kind of a nice perk right now yeah yeah for sure it is for sure it is so like you said i mean we're lucky to have it so so one thing that i'm thinking of is like how much we've worked with 
um, refugee communities and really like how much we've been lucky to hear about how refugees um, and people who've been, you know, had to leave their homes or been under like extreme amounts of pressure or danger, like yeah. how they've lived through it. Like, I feel like so lucky to have heard all of these stories. Do you process some of that stuff? Like, are you, have you been able to reflect on like kind of the stories that we've heard or that you've heard that, um, or lessons that you've learned that have, are helping you get through this? Yeah, I think, well, and I, yes and no. I think for me, what has been interesting is it's sort of allowed me to think about that work in a little bit of a different way. And I don't know, it's tricky because I feel like what I've experienced and like what most of my friends and family are experiencing is like, you know, this idea of like fragility and, um, things changing in an instant and not knowing what the future will bring. I feel like that's just a shadow or just maybe a teeny tiny fraction of what people have gone through that, you know, organizations like Alight serves. But I do think in a small way, it does make me think about my work with refugees in a, in a deeper way, if that makes any sense. Um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant. I don't want to say like I relate because I, so I, that's my experience has not even come close to um, what a lot of people have experienced. But I think just this idea of even a little bit of fragility and even a little bit of this idea of not being able to plan the future, like how devastating that can be on people's lives and how quickly it can happen. I think it really like humanizes the whole thing. Um, and I think in a way kind of, brings brings us even closer to those stories in a way that I don't think I felt before. Yeah, I feel like it's I mean a huge uh, empathy builder for me. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I have found is um you know, there's all of these programs to try to help people get back on their feet and these programs often kind of depend on this ethos of like being able to pull yourself up and stay disciplined and show up for what you have to show up for um yeah and kind of pull yourself up out of the hardship that you're in right and i am realizing how hard it is to stay disciplined to the things that you value under this kind of pressure and like mm -hmm. not, I mean, the, one of the silly ones that's happening for me right now is how dis, how it's hard to stay disciplined to eating well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm eating so much junk food <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like that's fine. I think we're all on like in a bit of trauma and when you're going through trauma, like eat junk food, you know, do what you need to do to like take care of your mental health. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think of how often, you know, we, we, you imagine people like going through really hard times, um, and still trying to stay, does that make sense? Like stay disciplined to yeah. your highest self, if that may, you know, or this vision of yourself that you want to have. And for me, that's like eating really well and exercising and being a good parent and writing and reading and getting my work done and all these things. Right. Um, it is so easy 
in these circumstances to let things go. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think of, um, of how hard it is to, I'm trying to explain this and I'm really having a hard time with it. I think. No, but, I, I totally get, I mean, I totally get what you're saying because also like juxtaposing that are all these sort of like, things you're seeing on social media or wherever else where it's like, Oh, but like right now is a great time to be productive and like write that novel you've always wanted to write or like, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But do more pushups, do more (laughs) pushups. Exactly. Oh yeah. But like, that's that it's not really, it's actually when you're going through a trauma and sort of this like anxiety that everyone's feeling right now, that's not really realistic. Um, because you're processing and uh, I think it's okay to kind of give in to those things to an extent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel, I have to say personally, I don't know where I fall in my belief about what I should be, should and should not be doing with this yeah. time Yeah. because like, and I, and I'm trying to think back to, what my expectations have been going into refugee communities of what I expected to see people doing mm-hmm. or how I expected people to show up, not really understanding. Of course I can't understand their trauma, but also not understanding what it's like to kind of live day to day with an unexpected future. Absolutely. And, and to like show up as my highest self all the time. <laughs> Yeah. You know, or whatever. Like I just, I just can't, it's very, it's very destabilizing. And my belief on whether or not I should eat, should or shouldn't eat a bag of potato chips, you know, (laughs) is very, very, it's on very rocky ground right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is very unstable ground. Should I not, should I, should I not have (laughs) eight warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies fresh from the oven in one sitting (laughs) watching one episode of Killing Eve at 11 (laughs) o'clock at night. Oh, I can relate to that more than you know. (laughs) I do not have the resolve to say one way or the other that that's okay or not okay. It's just what I'm doing. (laughs) No, 100%. But that's, you know, though, that's it, though. I think, so for me, and I mean, I don't always practice what I preach, but like, for me, I think it's all like, does it make you feel good or not? Because I think things that like make you like our comfort and make you feel good in this time are good. But I think like personally for me, like two or three chocolate chip cookies might make me feel good. But once I'm in the like 10 range, then I think that the scales start to tip in the other direction, you know, because I think there's like certain things that like you think feel good, but then it's like actually in the end, like actually just make you feel worse. So it's kind of like, it's striking that balance, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's very hard. (laughs) Oh, it's It's so hard. hard. But but I hope that I, I hope that I feel like, I hope I have a greater sense of empathy and, and grace maybe is the right word for people who are going through hard stuff in the place where I live. Uh, You know, for the, like the people begging at the, um, at the street lights near where we, near our neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to like, I think my inclination when I drive up is, is, you know, having some kind of wish that they could do better or that they'll rise up in some way. Mm-hmm. And, 
I am in this moment really feeling the truth of how hard it is and destabilizing it is to have an uncertain future. Absolutely. And how it's really hard in this moment to know what matters and what doesn't matter in the everyday decisions that you make. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. I think there's sort of a judgment whether we want it to be there or not. You know, sometimes when you go into these situations where we set expectations for people pretty, that are pretty high. Um, and I think in some ways, yeah, this is, this is really empathy building because I think it's just a smack in the face of how unrealistic those expectations are. So it's like, how, you know, how can you approach it in a way that has, that contains a lot more empathy, um, you know, for, for the real situations that people are going through. And I think destabilization is a great way to put it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's doing a number on me, but you know, the cookies were good. I will just say (laughs) they were warm and delicious. They were the Toll House recipe. Uh, the, the recipe says to cook them at 375, but Charlie put them on at 350, which actually Mm. rendered a perfectly crispy cookie on the outside, gooey on the inside. All the chocolate was melted. I could not stop myself. Oh my gosh. uh, Killing Eve is like the right tone for me right now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And so uh, it was just like the most delicious, perfect thing to give up sleep for (laughs) (laughs) because my kids are going to get up at uh, six or seven, whether or not like it or not. So staying up to midnight is a choice, Um, (laughs) but it was worth it. It was worth it. I'll say. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, We, um, we baked cookies. We've been actually on quite the, cookie baking spree but um i've resolved that i think we need to we need to do a little cookie detox because we bake them and you know they're they're gone just in the blink of an eye so but also but also can we all just be a little roly-poly when we get out of this and be fine with it (laughs) true like i know you know there's going to be the there's going to be some people who show up and they'll have done a lot of like sit-ups in quarantine but i don't know it's not (laughs) i I don't have time (laughs) no same same. <laughs> I do have time to sit and eat cookies though. I do. Yeah. Um, okay. So I always end these, um, asking if you have any words of encouragement for people out there who need to hear the friendly voice of a kind stranger. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, for me, it kind of maybe goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is just, I mean, be kind to yourself first of all, but I mean that in the form of, like just do do what feels good like do what's right for you in the in the moment like for me it's sort of been like i've i've been kind of struggling not to put pressure on myself so like you know if it's 2 in the afternoon and i'm like trying to write a thing and it's just like not happening and i'm like struggling to find the motivation and the creativity like, you know, i it's okay again to like it's okay to go read a chapter of my book or like it's okay to go on a walk Um, it's okay to eat a cookie or, you know, whatever, whatever like feels good in that moment. Like I think just sort of allowing myself to feel that and not like kind of get down on myself for not being like super creative in this moment because I think there's just a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Be kind to yourself. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. 
Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. This is so fun. Talk to you soon. Bye. In the second part of this episode, Carly talks with Heidi. Heidi is the founder and executive director of Mini Mermaids, an after-school running club for elementary-aged kids and teens. Carly talked to Heidi on April 1st. Heidi is many things to many people. She's a coach, mentor, a house builder, an Ironman athlete, a public speaker, a yoga instructor, and a race MC. And about 20 years ago, Heidi was diagnosed with a rare form of blood cancer, which puts her in a more precarious position than so many others during this pandemic. Heidi also says that this disease has prepared her to protect herself in ways that she's so grateful for right now. Like every challenge life has thrown her way, Heidi is moving through this one with her eyes set on the future. Looks like we're on. Okay, great. Hey, Heidi. Hey, Carly. Thanks so much for agreeing to chat with me. It really means a lot. Yeah, I am. Right before you called me, I was drinking some lemon and salt, warm water and job hunting. Nice. Nice. Another another day in quarantine. (laughs) Another day in quarantine. Oh my goodness. (sighs) Lemon and salt. That sounds interesting. I've done like hot lemon water before, but the salt added. Yeah. Is there a particular reason for that? A couple of years ago, Mark and I did this Ayurvedic sort of reset um, week long thing, Mark, my partner. And uh, I don't know why, but every morning before you like had your coffee or anything to eat kind of the first thing you do aside from all these strange like dry brushing things that I never did um you have lemon with warm water I I don't typically like hot things so I like it kind of just warm um and then salt and I don't they said it's good for you so I just do it (laughs) I don't ask awesome (laughs) don't ask questions just do it awesome (laughs) <laughs> just do it. <laughs> yeah, I've been tempted to do the uh, the detox, like cayenne, mm. lemon cayenne powder mm-hmm. thing, but I'm a little bit too chicken to try it. Oh, it's actually super good. So yeah, one of the ones okay. that, that I go to, like if I'm starting to not feel great or particularly like feeling kind of boxed in, I do apple cider vinegar, water, cayenne, cinnamon, Ooh. lemon, juice, fresh lemon juice, and then um, a little bit of stevia. And it, I mean, it's, okay. it's an acquired taste for sure because of the apple cider vinegar, but it just feels right. super healthy and like I'm doing something nice for my body. So just add yeah. some stevia to it because it's kind of cool with the cayenne. Like it gives that little kickback at the end. Okay. Yeah. I, I should try that. I feel like now of all times is a time where I should be doing good things for my body instead of eating, you know, the dozens of cookies that I <laughs> baked in a 24 hour period. So, right. I know. Well, it's just a counterbalance. So bake all the cookies, but have the lemon, stevia, cinnamon, cayenne shots to, to <laughs> counterbalance and maybe some yeah, like exactly. fresh pressed wheatgrass or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. One cookie, one shot of wheatgrass. It should mm-hmm. equal out. <laughs> How was your weekend? So I've been self-quarantined now. This is the start of my fifth week. Um, and so we really have been committed to stopping work on Friday because both Mark and I, you know, we've worked from home for years together. So that's not really a new thing for us, but I have been in the bad habit for the last few years of sort of like, oh, this weekend I, I should really tackle this project that, you know, I've been waiting to do 
because I can't do it during the regular work week. So I'll do it on the weekend. And we just made a decision a couple of weeks ago that we would kind of talk in the morning on Friday and ask each other, you know, what does your day look like? And when are you going to be done? So we kind of come up with a time at the end of the day on Friday that that's the end of our work day. And then we've just been like, super excited. And actually, it's crazy to say because it's not the same for everyone. But we just feel like there's not enough time in the day. We're just doing all sorts of fun things. Like we, when we moved, we our dining room table that we had had for years was this, it's this massive, long table that we carved a perimeter on around it. And people have engraved their initials or a little drawing. And so it's this like, massive memory table but it didn't fit in our new house so we made a different table to fit in there but we did this sort of makeshift sort of um quaker quilt pattern out of paper on top of the table but i didn't seal it correctly so it's always been kind of gross so we we were like finally we can do this so we sanded that and then we hand painted this new pattern on there so it looks really good so we did that we've been doing the beach body workout um that we can't walk after and laugh at ourselves. And yeah, just kind of trying to find those things that we haven't had time for because we've just packed in other stuff or work has gotten in the way. Um, and so the weekend has been, the weekends have been awesome, actually. It doesn't hurt that we live really close to the beach so we can just, you know, walk down and look at the water too. You guys seem, you and Mark seem like you are pretty well suited for this type of lifestyle together. Yeah, where we've actually I feel like we are kind of cheating the system because we have lived so long in this space where we're both working from home and doing it at odd hours and we have a a really pretty strong understanding of the rhythm. So like if one of us is on a call, we we know to kind of tiptoe around and you know, we don't have little kids. We it's we're sort of in the luxurious version of quarantine. <laughs> Well, and like you said, you've been working, you're used to working from home together. So yeah. I feel like the people who are are more accustomed to working from home actually have a leg up during this time, because in a lot of ways, it's sort of business as usual. Totally. You've been on quarantine, you said for going on five weeks. Now. Yeah, this is the start of my fifth week. So as soon as I started to hear some of the information out of Washington, I'm pretty immune compromised. Um, and I just felt like I needed to take pretty extreme measures. Um, just not knowing, you know, it was early on in, in what we knew in the United States. And I was trying to read all the reports from Asia and understand, you know, what might be going on there. But yeah, I just right away, um, our older son lived with lives with us now. And the three of us kind of just powwowed and said, okay, from here on out, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to any stores. I'm not going really anywhere. I mean, yesterday, Mark and I, I got to drive the car while he ran some errands. <laughs> that was my big, <laughs> actually my, my biggest outing um, in over four weeks. So yeah. Yeah. It's those, it's funny how those little things have become like the big excitement. Like we did a curbside pickup of groceries the other day and we were like looking forward to it the whole day <laughs> and like, okay, ready to go. And like, oh, this is our big adventure. <laughs> do we, do we brush our teeth? <laughs> do we comb our hair? <laughs> Exactly. Like, should I throw on a little makeup? <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Yeah. How has that worked with having the three of you at home? How has that impacted since you are, you know, immune compromised? Um, has your son been then had to change his kind of day to day earlier than he maybe would have other different circumstances? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's at first. And I think this might be true for a lot of people. You know, at first you're kind of like, we got this. This is no problem. And then after the first week, he was like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. want to be trapped in this house. And I have friends and, you know, he has a really strong community here in town and they were still trying, you know, there really wasn't a lot of information at that point early on about social distancing. It was just kind of starting to reveal itself of, you know, what we really needed to do as a community. So um, he's been super respectful and, you know, we've, we've kind of uh, sort of do a little bit of a um, analysis on, you know, what he's doing and how he's doing it. And so like we have wipes and Lysol at the front door and once a day, at least, you know, I go through and I Lysol every light switch and railing on the stairs and door handles. And so he, um, with some friends that he has just recently met, you know, it was sort of like, okay, let's talk this through. Like, where do they go? What do they do? Who are they with? Are they working? So I think, I think it's put a little bit of a damper on his social life for sure. Um, but he has been amazing and he's actually, um, done all of our grocery shopping so that, you know, neither Mark or I have to go into the store. Um, and so we kind of just have this whole ritual that we've perfected over the last couple of weeks. But I can tell it's kind of starting to to wear on him a little bit. You know, I think it's it's really harder for, again, we have a little bit of a leg up in an odd way, having been immune compromised for, you know, almost two decades of my life. My kids and my husband and my close family and, and close friends, they all really understand and are pretty sensitive to Anytime there's something that is is potentially a risk for me, everyone's kind of on high alert. Like, wait a second, where's Heidi and what is she doing and should she be there and does she have close toe shoes on right now? <laughs> you know, whatever weird situation I find myself in. So, um, luckily, we kind of have that language in our DNA over the last couple of decades. So um, he is probably more aware you know, than other peers, his age of how diseases transmit and how easily it, it really can affect a family who has, you know, whether it's a grandparent or a child that has health underlying health conditions. So it's, it's yes and no, it's a yes. And, you know, he's, he's definitely wishing he could go and just do his normal life, but also super sensitive. And we'll talk through, like I said, you know, if he wants to go see someone, it's like, okay, let's kind of talk through what your protocol is going to be um, coming back. Have you noticed changes in your community? I mean, I know that you've been kind of on lockdown for five weeks now, but can you talk a little bit about those changes and how you saw the progression of those changes? So at first, I think um, probably much like any town in the world right now, you know, you have that initial sort of like, what? No, 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 this isn't, this isn't a thing and we don't need to worry about this. And we, I have a run group that I've been running with for years and years that we run a couple of mornings a week. And we really struggled to find what the right or correct response was to, okay, what is social distancing and how do we do that? And just trusting that the the data we were getting and the, the news that we were getting was valid and, you know, the 
the right instruction for us as a community. In general, I think everybody is is really responsive and wants to take care of each other. At first, Mark and I would go for walks each night um, along the water. And a couple of times we actually turned around and came home because there were so many people and it just felt like, mm-hmm. okay, you guys, this is too much. We were a couple of weeks ago, um, we went down to the beach and it was a Saturday and I felt so nervous because I could see these big groups of people. And I've been talking to a lot of friends, whether it's, you know, chatting on text or, you know, doing Zoom hangouts and happy hours. And it's interesting how stressful it feels when you do decide to go for a walk, which, you know, the CDC and World Health says, yes, get outside and take a breath and, you know, get some fresh air. And even as an immune compromised person, this is really critical, I think, you know, in ways that are safe. And for the most mm-hmm. part, you know, people like we'll go for our, our daily walk and you can see, you know, you sort of do this like you look each other in the eye when you see someone, you know, a few hundred yards away and you can sort of start to see the body language of who's going to go left, who's going to go right. And, you know, how are we going to respect each other's space? But when we were down there at the beach, I was seeing these big clusters of people that unless a family of, you know, 15 were all quarantining together it, it just felt frustrating, you know, that people were not necessarily respecting what we all needed to do. And I've, I've connected with, you know, a lot of friends in this community as we're trying to, you know, come into this new normal of connecting with one another and maintaining those friendships. And we're all kind of feeling that where you get this frustration of like, oh my gosh, you know, just stay home. It's not, it's not worth it. And, and all of us need to be able to go out and get fresh air for a minute And in order to do that, we have to respect one another and, you know, stay safe. So I think in in general, Santa Cruz is doing a a pretty good job. Like you said, I haven't been out much, but in our little cluster right here in our community, in our neighborhood, it seems like people are really taking it seriously, but also really embracing, you know, you're out on a walk and you nod and say hi, way more eye contact. Mark and I have run for decades. And we used to always joke that when you would be out running, it was so hard to get people to look at you and say hi, like if you passed them when you were running. And so it would always be a joke of like, see how many people you can get to either smile back at you or say good morning back to you. And we were always floored that no one, it was such a low percentage of people that would actually connect with you when you were out there running on the on the sidewalk. And it's so different now. Like everybody, it's almost like we're so thirsty for, well, that's not the right word, but <laughs> you know what I mean? we're, we're craving that human connection. And so it's, it's kind of sweet in a way because you see this sort of like, I see you, you see me, we got this, we can do this. So in general, I think people are, are doing their very best. Do you think that in your own life, there are any experiences that you've had that have prepared you for this in some way? I do. I mean, I certainly from a health perspective, for sure. Um, when I, so I have a bone marrow failure disease, um, and was diagnosed when I was just about 30, 31. And my kids were really young and they were six and nine at the time when I was diagnosed. And I think what has prepared me for right now from that time in my life is just a sensitivity and uh, sort of this acute awareness of like stripping down to what matters most and um, letting go of of what we think we have to do on any given day. Or, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people lately sort of going through these different stages of, of 
grief and awareness and fear and, you know, all of the different things, that's not the right order, but, you know, all the things that sort of bubble up as you walk through what it, what would be considered a traumatic situation. And one of those things is sort of trying to understand who you are when the dust settles, because right now we're kind of in a space where the dust has settled. We understand how, how big and how hard it is. And, and then that leaves us with ourselves. And that's what happened when I got sick was I was, running a million miles an hour. I was, you know, the mom, you know, volunteering with all these other great moms doing stuff 24 seven, taking my boys to practices and making sure everybody was, I loved it. I was, you know, fully into it and embracing it. And then it, it just came to an absolute standstill, not unlike what we're facing right now. And I really had to kind of find my way out of it. And I think, I think any situation in life where you were in one moment, in one instant, doing what you considered normal and right, and or at least what you had to do, supposed to be doing, to then just the very next moment, everything being shut down, it either will crush you and you fall completely apart and don't know how to get up out of it, or it can be a place where you stop and ask yourself, what does matter most right now? And for some people, what matters most is learning how to bake bread. And that's cool. And for some people, what matters most is really just trying to take care of their mental health and wake up each day and, and find their way back to themselves. And so for me, because of that experience of being sick and having to be so abruptly taken away from my life and my experiences, that I think did really uniquely prepare me for where we are now and maybe um, stalled some of my, or not stalled, but kept me from feeling what I know some of my friends have felt, which is just that frustration of like, wait, but I'm so, I, I need to go to Target or I need to go, you know, to happy hour. Or I need to go shopping or whatever it is. Those are such normal human responses when someone tells you you can't. And so I feel like I, I've already been in that space multiple times over the last 20 years when I've been healthy and then I'm not, and then I'm healthy and then I'm not. And so I kind of feel like my heart and mind were, were prepared. And I, and I know many people who either have a child that's, that's been ill or still is ill or a loved one that they care for, you know, we're kind of uniquely prepared to go into some sort of isolation. And for us, for myself during that time, it was a little bit more, um, one-sided, right? It wasn't, it wasn't global. And even my kids being little, they still went and did all the things that they were doing, but I literally couldn't even drive the car because I was so ill. So I couldn't do any of those things that I felt like, uh, were my identity and brought worth and value to who I am. And so I had to quickly make some choices about how I was going to show up in, in that and, and begin to discover where my worth and value actually lies. And it's not in the doing, it's not in the productivity, it's in the loving and the learning and the connecting and, and being, a, being a part of this world and, and seeing where I fit in, in that. If I could say anything from my experience with my health over the years and now being in this moment, it's just to be kind to yourself because it's gonna be so tempting to, to achieve something or accomplish something, or even try to figure out how do I get to, you know, what Heidi's talking about? Well, that's, that just takes time and, and moments and, and actual minutes on the clock of, okay, I, I feel like I'm struggling with this. What does this mean for me? So, you know, being kind to yourself and, and letting yourself feel what you're feeling, I think is, is what will, <laughs> what will save us during this. You know, if you're frustrated, be frustrated. You know, if you're mad that you can't go shopping, be mad. It's okay. 
Well, I think you just answered my next question, but do you have any extra encouragement for people listening? I, I can't help but be amazed at how how fortunate we are as a world to have so much connection via technology. So whether that's, you know, doing a Zoom happy hour or a, you know, a, a face, Facebook Live or whatever, you know, you're seeing everyone and you can have this connection where, you know, if this had happened 30 years ago, that would not be the case 15 years ago. How lucky we are that we have that. And then the flip side of that is for those moments, because they're going to come, those moments where you're just exhausted from it, you're tired, you know, there's, there's all these different ways that our body and heart and mind responds to changes that are so abrupt like this that feel traumatic in different ways. Or maybe you have a loved one that is in the hospital right now that you can't get to, or you have parents that are in a in an assisted living that you can't get to, or you're worried about your child or you're worried about yourself. I mean, there's there's so much like sitting in this heavy cloud above all of us that it can be um, easy to compare based on what we're seeing on social media for someone that's, you know, getting up and and making bread and they're super into and embracing the rituals that they're now creating in this at-home lifestyle. That might be what you find yourself enjoying and it might not ever be for you. And so how how can you protect yourself and give yourself the freedom to feel what you're feeling? And be yourself and and ask for what you need, whether that's more connection to others, you know, telling a friend, hey, I just need you to check in with me once a day and ask me how I'm doing and let me be honest and not try to fix it. Or maybe it's, you know, journaling or writing down one thing that you're worried about so you can just let it be there because there's so much that we don't know. And it's scary to have something that we can't see or or even really feel or or imagine coming into our homes and and making us ill and then not knowing what would be next. So acknowledging what we're feeling, I think, opens us up to then breathe a little bit deeper and keep moving forward. So you know, really just not comparing. Maybe drawing inspiration if if that's what you are looking for. But it's it's not uncommon to find yourself just like scrolling and thinking, oh, my God, I'm not doing any of that. And I'm a loser. Or, you know, I'm not using this time effectively and I could be learning a new language and I'm not, you know, whatever it is. Just be nice to yourself. <laughs> yeah. The bread making actually is one thing. It seems like everybody is just on fire for it. And I'm just I'm kind of not. <laughs> That's OK, because you know what? They're going to be they're going to be making all that bread. And guess what? When you go pick up your groceries, there's going to be so much bread for you. Because everybody's making their own. Exactly. It's so true. <laughs> it's the one thing that won't be out of stock. Exactly. No, it's, it's so funny. I mean, we ha- I will admit the cookies are another story, but Brad, not so much. Hey, you do you, baby. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Heidi. Is there anything that you'd like to add that I haven't specifically asked you about? What I you know, hope and pray for every morning when I kind of try to sit for a couple of minutes with my weird lemon water concoction is that is just what I was saying that we can all just give ourselves a break. You know, it's the, this is unknown, unchartered, unprecedented, all the uns, that's what this is. And we just, we got to give ourselves a break and, and let ourselves be in it and not try to figure out a way out of it yet or how we're supposed to be doing it correctly, because that's just not a thing. (laughs) However we're doing it, we're doing it right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's so good to talk to you. I know you too. All right. Thanks, Heidi. Talk to you soon. Bye.
In the last part of this episode, Carly checked in with Jacques. Jacques is an old friend of mine and Carly's from our days of the light. And before Carly and Tad evacuated Rwanda, they got to spend some time with Jacques, who lives in Kigali. Jacques is helping lead the COVID-19 response for Alight in refugee camps in Rwanda and helps connect his teams there to Alight's HQ in Minneapolis. Jacques is also newly engaged and missing his fiance, who works in a Kigali hospital. During this conversation, you'll hear Rwandan birds singing in the background. And while Jacques tells Carly what it's like to be in lockdown in the Rwandan capital, he shares how he's staying sane and why he's going bananas for oranges. How are you? I'm good. I'm just keeping up with the uh, with the confinement and yeah, basically take every day, you know, like as it comes. Yeah. Of course, we, we, with some, with work, keep going on because we also still do work from home, but it's okay. It's good. How is working from home going for you? So. You know, I mean, it's a new thing. I'm not used to it, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I had to cope with the situation. Basically, you need to wake up every morning and get ready as if you're going to work. Um, right. You shower, you, you, you get dressed, and then you prepare your workspace, you take breakfast, and then you start, you open your computer, have your do list done, and then st- just start going through the checkpoints. And and then the point you marked, and then until you finish with the calls, for my situation, every end of the day it's calls. That's when the HQ they are up, and we have been working on fundraising and spreading the messages around COVID nineteen. Yeah, basically that's my normal day, and I'm getting used to it. Um, of course, also you have to put sport in there. So basically, <laughs> I after work, basically around six, I have to make sure I do some sport around in the compound. We have a few ways to lift, running, jump, and so on. So yeah, that's that's a normal day in confinement. <laughs> and you have roommates, right? Oh yeah, I have housemates. Um, yeah, and they all one is a business person, so he. He works in in clothing industry, which has which is non essential for now, uh, has closed down. Um, yeah. And so uh, that's one part of it. But also, I work with another one who is a journalist and a lawyer. So for them, as journalists, work continues, but research has to be done online, and so on, and make calls. Right. Um, yeah, we have another another friend of ours who just came and stayed with us over this period of time because of availability of internet and uh, and, and IT facilities. And he is an accountant. So he's a CEO of a consortium of accountant uh, associations. Yeah. And have you seen? Uh, have you been able to see your fiance much? Uh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> From when all this started, we basically we we have seen each other twice, and okay. we were not even able to get close to each other. Basically, one will stand like like six to ten feet away from the other, and then we talk for fifteen minutes. That's it. Oh shoot! That must be really hard. It is because she doesn't want to expose me 
because she works at the hospital, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they on they are the frontliners, and they take it very serious. I'm the one who pushed to see each other, blah blah blah, but she prefers to not to not take that risk. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. What is she telling you about what's going on at the hospital right now? Um, at the hospital, basically, they have their preparedness, like measures taken, mainly protecting the healthcare providers as well as other people who may not may get contaminated at in the hospital space. Um, yeah, because she works in internal medicines, she have. When she admits people, she makes sure uh, she doesn't become a risk, especially when she has a critical care uh, patient. Um, then you know that any exposure to something like COVID will just basically um, exacerbate the situation with somebody who's in the ICU or in the HDU. Right. Uh, so, but also the way the hospital used to do triage has changed. Usually triage was scattered across departments. Now triage is done in a safe space where people are, are distanced from each other in one common place so that when a case is identified as as suspicious, then it's already automatically channelized in COVID-19 response system without entering the hospital. So only the person who will enter the hospital is somebody who comes for different complaint, but also do not, okay. not showing any sign related to COVID-19. So I think that's something really that protected people who are flowing through the hospital systems, especially also the healthcare providers. Um, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, how is she feeling about the whole thing? I mean, is she is she feeling pretty confident about Rwanda's response, or what's her sense of everything? Um, of course, as as a doctor, she has always that uh, worrisome aspect of things because they see things from the reality from from the front line um but if you look at the general population in rwanda the situation is calm because most of the cases that was that were imported in the country they were identified and the contacts of those people were also identified and confined in one place so they've been followed up by the government well, the good news is most of the confirmed cases only came from those cases that were like people who were actually quarantined because they were in contact with somebody who might have been tested positive. So basically, there's no new case that came out of that cycle, which gives a hope of some sort of con like that we are kind of controlling the cohort that was potentially in touch with COVID from outside. Um, so things will get a bit more different in case we get we start getting cases that have never been in contact with that specific cohort I just mentioned, and then mm -hmm. that when people will think, okay, this is something that is in the general population. As a matter of fact, we haven't got any case outside of Kigali, which is a good sign. That's a great yeah. sign. Yeah, um, but still, the country is is kind of um, um, uh, alert, on alert because. We are starting getting cases in nearest um, um, in the border cities like Goma in DRC, so that only triggers the country's capacity to to lock the borders in a serious manner, um, suppressing even activities that were uh, were 
could be like could be uh, tagged as essential, such as business and food trading and so on. Right, yeah. right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, what's what's life like in Kigali right now? What's the feeling around town? Basically, I can only speak uh, on my own perspective because we have been have been confined for the past three weeks. I left the compound twice, going to the market. That's it. So wow. Um, I mean, when I go, and both times when I went to the market, it was. You get stopped by the police who wear ma- they have masks, they have gloves because they have two hundred driving licenses, and they will ask you where are you going, and you say, "Hey, I'm going to the pharmacy," and and the mark, oh, I'm going to the market. So, given the fact that they know where those places are, you cannot lie because they will keep monitoring, and it's very small city as you know it, and. If you they see a black Mercedes going to saying they are going to the market at Kimironho, and then they spot you taking a detour to Kachiru, um, that will not be you get the next time you get stopped, you may be towed and taken to your house, things like that. Yeah, have you heard of anybody like getting fined or being apprehended because they're outside of their house and they're not supposed to be? Fine, not, but people are get um, uh, asked to return and to go back if they're going out for non-essential uh, services. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And are people being pretty observant of those rules? People, they are. Um, I think, uh, I assume, I'm not sure, that's really subject for confirmation, is it the, the, the level of alert may be higher in the city in Kigali because it's also reinforced by the guidelines and policies um, but less in outside of uh, in up countries because of the threat also is lower up there than here. But okay. Rwanda, because of mobilization, we are hearing megaphone time to time on Saturdays going around asking people to stay at home. Um, they are sharing mm-hmm. messages on, on, on Twitter from the police, uh, mobilizing people around, cleaning, you know, being clean, wash their hands, uh, using masks, you feel sick not exposing people around you in case you feel like you need medical attention. There are numbers you can call and get attention immediately. So, yeah, I think I have a pretty good feeling personally that this is being contained so far. Um, Yeah, because if it was otherwise, I think we could have had more cases as of now. Yeah, I agree. I've been following pretty closely um, with the updates that the government is sending out. And although it does seem like the cases are rising, you're right, at least the cases that are being tested and reported, it seems like they're all very much contained to those clusters of people who were traveling into the country. And it seems like it's actually, it's rising, but it's not rising at such a rate that seems uncontrollable. Yeah. So those seem like good signs. And it I mean, it was amazing how quickly the government cracked down and, you know, had those kind of aggressive measures Mm -hmm. right away, which was great. I mean, I think it'll really go a long way to help stop the spread. Yeah, we I mean, as uh, I mean, as Rwandans, we we were kind of saying, hey, this is very is being we are being dramatic. But seeing what happened in Wuhan, we were kind of happy that that those measures were reinforced like right away. And right. as we follow up the news, you can, I mean, you can tell if one week delay can cause you a lot, can just be like 
the toll will be like unimaginable. So right. I get even scared, especially when in the places where I lived, like in big cities like New York, uh, Minneapolis, when you hear people spending weeks, die, like basically exchanging political views, blah, 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 around that issue, it, there's no time for that. It's just time to say, you guys, we shut this down. We, it yeah. doesn't mean that we hit the economy. We know the impact is going to be very bad on the economy, but life matters beforehand, before everything else. Yeah. As someone who has lived in the U.S. and spent so much time there, what do you think about what you've been seeing unfolding in the U.S.? I I mean, one of the, I mean, I love New York, but I mean, seeing what's happening, I, I was really sad. I have so many friends over there, um, Rwandans, Americans, and many other people from different places like Chile, they still live in New York. I was so scared. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, knowing places like Times Square, where you have around more than, you know, five, close to 5,000 people on like one avenue and, and like a few th- streets. I was like, man, how do we even think to cap the speed of of, of transmitting this virus? So, but right. I think there were, the officials that were very like, they were, they were amazing in containing it. I, I, we cannot, although the situation is not that good, but it could be worse if they didn't really take like serious measures. What's going on with work right now? Huh. What's the response looking like in refugee camps? Work-wise, as you know, in 50% of the refugee and like response in Rwanda, Allied has health uh, facilities in there. So that means we just, we have to join the nation in keeping those essential services, including health, like moving. So all our staff, frontliners evolving in, in I mean, um, intervening in health, in nutrition and wash, they are still there. So I was actually, I take time to chat with some of them. Um, it's a bit depressing for some of them are parents of very small kids, but mm-hmm. they cannot go home. And they have been they have been away for now two weeks, past two weeks soon. Oh wow! And that, that's that's really when you but when you look at the impact of going home, and especially when you are coming back home in Kigali, you can expose the refugee camps if not your family, you know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. you could imagine something like that landing in a refugee camp. Uh, that would be terrible. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah, what kind of measures are being done to prevent that from happening? I suppose people aren't, there's not movement in and out of the camp. Correct. Um, um, what, what kinds of other things are you guys doing? Um, for example, the only, like, there are few movement that's allowed to happen, especially transfer of drugs from the store to the pharmacies in the camp, uh, transfer for any sanitation material to other camps where we do wash, uh, water and sanitation, hygiene and sanitation. Um, mm-hmm. We limit the number of people who can intervene those transfers. And even though they happen, people are super cautious. They make sure they have protective gears when they are loading or floating the trucks and everything. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one. Uh, two, in terms of procedures, um, we you what you do, first of all, you centralize all approvals to control movement. Um, and here in Alight, a few people, if not the country director, will have the approval 
of allowing such kind of movement that are trans districts. Okay. So I see. yeah, that those are few among many other measures, including the fields, the feed level measures of releasing uh, the stock. Um, so shops are not opening as usual, like you know, every day. You have to make sure you have your plans, you plan ahead, and you're asking things that are really urgent for the logistic to come and open the store and make sure it takes all the proper measures to provide to you safely. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you get a sense of how refugees are feeling? Are they worried about this? Um, is there, you know, is is there apprehension about what's going on, or what are they thinking? Um, to be honest, I haven't spoken to any refugee personally. I have some contacts in there, um, which I think I should do to capture those feelings. But as part of you know, some of the refugees we have, if not most of half of them. They have been in Rwanda for the past, what, 20 years, two decades? Um, right. Uh, it, they're just like me, like anybody else. They, they worry about their life and they know that they live in precarious conditions. And they, I, I couldn't even imagine how they're doing. You know, myself, I, I have a decent, you know, like work and salary. I can go and buy my provisions and make sure I, I quarantine myself safely. Uh, what about the refugee? I was actually wondering what I should maybe do a video or try to contact one person among them to ask how are they coping with this? Imagine mm-hmm. that one refugee in Rwanda receives less than 6,000 Rwandan francs, which is, I mean, $6 per month per person. How are you going to do a stock with that? What if you are right. a household with a single person? You, you know, it's easy to manage that money if it's eight of you. But if you are alone as a household, then you cannot survive. You have to go out and do work. But if everything is restricted as movement, then what do you do? I don't know. I don't know what they do. Like Americans are stocking up on, for example, like frozen foods and canned foods and Mm -hmm. things like that. But like, that's not a reality for people living in a refugee camp. You can't stock up. Things. What are things? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a completely different... uh, situation for them different reality and i would imagine it just underlines their vulnerability um yeah that's completely different than the rest of the population yeah totally speaking of that Mm -hmm. how are um how are the grocery stores are they have you noticed a difference there in the Uh, markets yeah very much um one in kigali some markets have been designated to open a certain number of hours per day so that people can okay supplies uh, trucks with food can enter the city, uh, very well controlled, drop the food at certain places, and then people, they go, they, 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 they retail us, they can go and find that food there. So um, shops such as Simba, uh, T2000, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of big outlets, they have hours they can open so that people can go and get provisions. Okay. Yeah, but other small shops for non-essential things like clothing, shoes, uh, lotions, things like that. Unless you get those in those big outlets I just mentioned, they will not open. Okay. Yeah. Recently, I wanted to buy a free, like a freezer, so that I can, I will reduce the number of time I go out to buy fresh food uh, by freezing, like freezing it. Um, right. Uh, it didn't work. The guy could not come and open for me and give to sell me the the freezer. Oh shoot! Yeah. 
Okay, so how are you doing that? How are you stocking up? I just use the small freezer in my fridge. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Oof. That must be hard, especially with housemates too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to get some uh, things like rice and flour and yeah, we, foods and things like that? At the very beginning, those are things we bought in quantity. Um, and then uh, the only thing that will take me out probably will be veggie, like greens or things I cannot keep for more than a week. Yeah, I know. That's been a challenge for us, too, because we've been on quarantine. And so we've been doing um, grocery stores up here have been offering like curbside pickup of groceries. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's tricky because, yeah, like you want to stay healthy and you want to eat like fruits and vegetables, but they also go bad really quickly. So you can't uh, stock up too much on those things. Right. So it's it's been an interesting balance of we've been eating a lot of vegetables, though, which is great. I know, especially (laughs) me. I I went banana on on, on 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 oranges because I'm scared of having a low vitamin C and then start having you know flu and those kind of things. Right. No, absolutely. I think that's super smart. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's anything in your life that has prepared you for this moment? Um, I mean, certainly for us people, people have been in have one way or another. People faced this kind of situation in the past, but that's long time ago. I mean, yeah. I remember times we will spend days in the house because of threats and saying there will be like war will break up or, you know, things like that. But either in the Congo or in Rwanda, uh, but it has been a while. And those kind of bad souvenirs, people, they try to clean them off their mind as soon as they can, uh, unless something really takes you back in that kind of mood uh, such as this, you know, this situation. Um, yeah. but in the past, in the past 27 years, 26 years, I don't see anything that will resemble like this. Right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Jacques. I really no appreciate problem. it. Is, is there anything you'd like to add, um, about what's going on in Kigali or Rwanda right now that I haven't asked you about? Um, no, all I, all I may add is that. People now they have learned to get information from legit sources because the country have tried to mobilize people to not follow rumors and everything that bounces out of off internet um, from internet. But now people they know the government is updating people every week, telling them what's happening. Um, yeah. What are the new guidelines? But also directing people to either CDC, WHO. Those who can can actually consult. Like me, I've been downloading information about COVID actually every day from WHO. So I have everyday evolution. So let's right. Uh, That's great. Yeah, if people wants to to make trends to study something, you can use those information. Um, so what I would say that people should just stay together. This is not time to 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 spread effort is time to put all effort together and not only as individuals as family communities but also as countries um help have been flowing in in a very desperate place from a place where they've never imagined it would come from you know somebody you think he was an enemy but you find this person is on the front line actually willing to help you you know things like that so this will be something that will change the humanity um for 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 quite long but also i think i think it's going to change this it's going to affect the systems the way we we pro, we procure our things 
as communities, as countries, um, because weaknesses have really uh, uh, surfaced up uh, from this COVID-19 situation. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We may go back from globalization to produce locally, consume locally, to reduce these kind of risks. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I really appreciate it again. Thanks so much. And I miss Kigali. I miss the team. Uh, I know. It just came when we were about to start our journey to do our 365, which could be very fun to go around. But I know. I know. But it's to be continued. Oh, by the way, we are doing some 365. In Mahama, we joined the, the local authorities in providing food to the most vulnerable in the community, especially the elderly people. So... Yeah, Mahama is doing. If not today, it's not. It's gonna be tomorrow. They already started the process, and that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm also working with Gihembe to see there are many people who came instead of allowing them straight in the host community in Gihembe, they from Uganda. They had to put them in quarantine. So the government is reaching out to any partner who can help them, and I think okay. I was trying to design something to join hand helping those people as well, either with some some uh, um, uh, cleaning material or anything they may need. Um, so it's also part of the protection of the for, of Gihembe community. So, yeah. That's awesome. I'm super glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, you'll have to keep me updated and in the loop on all that stuff because yeah. hopefully when I'm back, we can hit the ground running and, and sure. pick up where we left off. I'll, I'll, I'll loop you in when we do the reporting of that. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, friend. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any plans for the weekend? Uh, lift up some weights, jump some ropes, you know, rounds. That's it. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> Got to like stay in shape. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, Jacques. We'll talk to you soon. Sure. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Heidi and Jacques for coming on the podcast and for connecting with all of us. And a special thank you to Carly for bringing us all together. If you want to find Carly's writing or Heidi's TED Talk or Jacques' organization, Alight, there are links at heybrentlove.com. And if you'd like to help this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or Stitcher and rate and review this podcast. It totally helps. Finally, if you feel like someone you know might feel comforted by hearing the voices of everyday people as they share how they are getting through these tough days, please share this podcast with them on Facebook or Instagram. Here's a bunch of love to everyone out there. We'll get through this together.